Hi, welcome to Longitude Soundsbites, where we bring innovative insights from around the world directly to you. As part of our series focusing on the James Webb's telescope, our conversations aim to shed light on the contributions of scientists who are helping us understand our universe better. I am Zehra, a student at Tilburg University pursuing a degree in neuroscience. For this episode, I had an opportunity to speak with Jehan Kartal Tepe from Rochester Institute of Technology, where she is an associate professor of physics and astronomy. Jehan studies the distant universe, and she also conducts research on how galaxies form and evolve over time, using telescopes in ground and in space. Furthermore, she is a leading member in several large collaborative multi-wavelength surveys, including Cosmos. Her Cosmos web project team received one of the first grants to study the initial images from the James Webb Space Telescope, so I wanted to speak with her about her work and the unexpected findings that she has encountered. We started our conversation with her pathway to astronomy. Enjoy listening. I think I always liked astronomy even when I was a little kid because I, I partly liked the weird stuff. Like I always liked learning about space and I would ask my dad, you know, random questions about planets and other things. So I think it was always fun for me and interesting and so far removed from what we do and see like, on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. It seemed for me a natural direction to go in. Like this is a, a subject I really like about that I like to read and learn more about. Um, so it seemed natural to start to study it in school. And, and then of course, in, in school, you see the kinds of jobs that people around you do. Yeah. <laughs> they're, you know, teaching classes and they're professors. And it seemed like, oh, that would be a fun job. My work is all observational. So it's all done using data, using telescopes. And I've been involved with projects involving Hubble and the Spitzer Space Telescope and other telescopes. And so JWST was kind of a natural extension, right? It's something that the whole community has looked forward to for many, many years and through its development and all the delays and just kind of the exciting next step in terms of having capabilities that we haven't had before. And so being able to study things we haven't been able to study for before find it really fascinating to see what we can actually find out about the galaxy and about our space and that there's actually just more than beyond our little world. Yeah. And, um, and it's hard to believe we, we can learn about things that are so far away or about the beginning of the universe. It sounds like science fiction, right? Yeah. So it's one of the fun things to talk about when teaching a class. It's like, how do we actually learn about these things that are so far away that we can't actually touch? But what can we learn from their light? Could you maybe explain in a few sentences the mechanism that makes up the telescope, like the JWST? The most important part of a telescope is the mirror. So JWST has a large, about 6.5 meter in diameter mirror. It's, it's segmented, so it was put together in pieces to make it easier to assemble, fold up and put on a spacecraft to launch. So it's a bit unusual that way. It also has a secondary mirror. So there's a, a big mirror and then there's a smaller mirror that, you know, the, the light reflects off the big mirror and then on the smaller mirror and then gets sent down to the cameras. The other most important piece of a telescope is the cameras. You have to collect that light somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, the different cameras have different functions. They can collect data at different parts of the spectrum. So JWST is optimized for the infrared part of the spectrum, but the infrared is a pretty 
wide range. And so there's instruments that are suited for the near infrared, so closer to the visible part of the spectrum that we see, and there's others that are designed to work in the mid infrared. Okay. And then there's some that take images, that just take pictures, and there's others that take spectra. Yeah, so I also wanted to know a bit more how the whole infrared observing works. And there's a lot of reasons why the infrared's really important for astronomy, for especially for what I do. It's really important because well, our universe is expanding. So that means everything's moving away from everything else. So it has a motion. And anytime something moves, the light that it emits is actually moved to a different part of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So for galaxies in the very distant universe, the light that they would emit in the visible part of the spectrum that we would see is actually moved all the way to the infrared. So we need the infrared to be able to see their sort of normal, you know, visible light that we see. But there's also a lot of processes that emit in the infrared. One of the, the biggest is dust. Dust seems like it wouldn't be important, but it's very important in space. Okay. <laughs> dust, you know, is particles in space that eventually form planets. And so things like want, wanting to study planets or planet formation around stars, you, you need to be able to see that in the infrared dust in galaxies, regions that are forming new stars, you can see that in the infrared. Okay, yeah, that's really interesting to hear about all of this. I wanted to ask also just generally how this whole concept started with your project and how long would you say it took to develop it? I guess there's a long answer and a short answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this, the, the project that, that we're leading, so that's called Cosmos Web, it's observing a portion of the sky that's known as the cosmos field. And it's something that I've worked on this particular field of the sky for like almost all of my career. I started in graduate school when the first Hubble data of this area was taken. And so over the years, you know, people have taken more and more data because ideally you'd like to have data across the entire spectrum to study all kinds of different objects and all kinds of different physical processes. When there was a call for proposals for JWST, this was kind of the natural extension. Like, hey, we should really have the infrared data here too, because that would be fabulous. Yeah. But it took a while to work on it. Because of COVID, everything got delayed, which in a, in a way sort of helped because it gave us more time to work on the proposals to kind of hash out what we wanted to do. We had meetings like this on Zoom mm -hmm. every week where we kind of talked about different ideas and different strategies and what could we do if we did it this way or that way. And so it really did take a long time to flesh out uh, what we wanted to do. And so I think we were, in a way, kind of lucky to have that extra time to put it all together. Yeah. I mean, it sounds such a complex project. What does your work environment look like? Like with who do you work with? Other astronomers or maybe like engineers? So we have collaborators that are all over the world. So we've been using Zoom for many years you know, before it even became popular. A lot of people based in Europe, a lot of people based in the US, quite a few in Japan. Those are kind of the, the main places. And that includes people like me, you know, faculty. That includes students. So there's a lot of graduate students that are involved. That includes postdocs. So it's, it's a pretty broad range of people, but all, for the most part, all scientists. What would you say is a typical day at your work? Like, how would you describe it? I guess it depends. Generally, my time is kind of split between teaching, which is kind of 20, 30% of my time, something mm -hmm. like that. 
doing other university support work, so being on committees, you know, evaluating student applications, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and then about half of my time is is devoted to research, but my research is really split into my own research <laughs> where I'm working on things and, and working with my students. Okay. And so I have a group of, of students and postdocs here that all have their own projects. And so a good chunk of my time is just is spent working with them and meeting with them and, and talking through things. And then ideally when I have some focus time, um, it's spent writing or programming, right? Those are kind of the, the two sides of things, you know, analyzing the data, which involves just a lot of coding and making plots and, and things like that. And then writing, either writing the papers mm -hmm. or writing proposals to obtain other data or obtain funding and things like that. So, okay. you know, 90% of my day is in front of the computer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you also have like a student team that's like helping out with the project? Yeah, so I have several students here working with me on different projects, mm -hmm. but a couple of them are working on the, the Cosmos data, and uh, I have a couple of postdocs as well that are working on it. That's really nice. I think it's um, also like important as a student to gain some research experience, which is quite hard sometimes, especially yeah. working on such a big project, and I think it's probably very valuable in general. And it's, it's perfect timing for students right now when this yeah. is all also new and exciting. So I think it's potentially, you know, grabbing the interest of, of students that might do something else, but then they see, you know, this cool thing like, oh, hi, I could work on that. Yeah. So hopefully it's fun for them. Okay. Could you maybe also speak about, so when you look at the universe through like a space telescope, how is it different than, I don't know, like the telescopes on Earth? How is it more advanced or what would you say are the main differences or the similarities yeah. maybe also? The big difference of going to space versus being on the ground is to not have the atmosphere in the way. Mm -hmm. So Earth's atmosphere causes a lot of problems for observing. I mean, we, we need it, so it's great that we have it. But, you know, if it's cloudy, it's cloudy. You can't do anything about that. The light is blocked. The atmosphere is very turbulent, right? There's always stuff moving around, so that impacts how well you can see things because it kind of bounces light, you know, all through the atmosphere on its way to the detector. So by going to space, you can have uh, much more detailed images and much more sensitive images. So you can look at things that are much fainter that you couldn't see otherwise. And it's especially true in the infrared because our atmosphere emits a lot in the infrared. And so it kind of can block out, you know, certain parts of the spectrum just because it's already really bright there. Mm -hmm. So you can't see things that are faint behind it. So that's really the biggest thing. Of course, the negative is that it's expensive you know, yeah. to put anything in space and it's difficult. So, you know, putting a big telescope is just technologically challenging, right? To get everything kind of like JWST had to fold up, you know, to fit in the spacecraft. Whereas on the ground, you can build bigger things and it's, it's a little bit easier. Okay. The other thing about going to space is temperature. Things can be kept really, really cold, um, which is again, important for the infrared. Things that are warm emit light in the infrared, right? That's how like infrared goggles and stuff work by yeah. looking at heat. So you need to be away from Earth's heat source to be able to, to do much in the infrared. Could you maybe also talk about the Cosmos Web Survey and what your whole role there is or your position? So I'm one of the PIs. I have a, a collaborator, uh, Caitlin Casey, who's at UT Austin, who's mm -hmm. the other PI. So we're leading the survey together. And the goal of this survey is to cover a relatively large area of the sky. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of two different ways people go about 
surveys of galaxies, you can either look at one part of the sky, just take like one image, but sit there for a really long time so that you can collect more and more light, like a really long exposure and look at really faint things. So then you don't cover a large area. It's a small area, but you look really faint. Mm -hmm. The other strategy is to not expose for as long. So not to look as faint, but then to kind of map out a larger area. So instead you're covering many more galaxies, but more of the brighter ones and less of the fainter ones. In reality, people do both. Mm -hmm. The Cosmos Web Survey is sort of that wide area. So it's wider than any of the surveys uh, that are going to be done, which means, you know, the huge benefit of that is statistics in some way. So we're going to observe, you know, hundreds of thousands of galaxies rather than, you know, 10,000 or something like that, like other surveys might have. And that also allows us to study sort of large scale effects, large scale environments. So if it matters, you know, whether, whether something is really isolated or whether something lives in a really dense environment. It's like comparing things that happen in cities versus things that happen out in the suburbs or in the rural area. And you need kind of like a wide map really to be able to, to cover everything to see how, how things change. Okay. So how do you determine like this specific focus with the area, like which wide range of the galaxies to pick? The area we picked, it's an area of the sky that people have studied for a long time. Mm -hmm. So we already had data from other telescopes. Okay. So so you already have information in other parts of the spectrum. So that's really useful. So you don't have to go back and try to collect yeah. that after the fact. We want to study areas that are relatively free of like nearby stars and things that are going to get in the way. I mean, there's going to be stars everywhere, but there's certain parts of the sky where all you see are stars and, you know, certain parts that are, that are more empty. And so, you know, you have to choose an area that's a bit more empty. It's also in a part of the sky that we can observe from the ground from both hemispheres. You know, there are some parts of the sky you only see from the north or only from the south. This field is kind of on the equator, so you can see it from anywhere, which is good for using other telescopes. Could you talk about if you already have some findings that you achieved with the uh, Cosmos Web Survey or how you think this could improve our current knowledge uh, about the previously done um, studies, maybe? So the biggest thing that we are trying to do is study the very, very early universe or the most distant galaxies. Mm -hmm. We just got a big chunk of data, you know, at the end of April that we're kind of analyzing right now. Um, but we already have sort of candidate objects that are very distant. And so we want to study not only how many of them there are and what their properties are, but how they're spatially distributed, if they're kind of grouped together or if they're more kind of spread out. And so that's I think something unique we'll be able to do because we'll be able to have so many of them. The other thing that's a huge benefit there is that if anything is really rare, you know, like it's extremely bright and there might only be, you know, one in, in a certain patch of the sky, we're more likely to find those rare things because we're covering a large area. Yeah. And also because it's different from the previously done studies and like different telescopes. Right, exactly. So we can see things that are much fainter mm -hmm. and therefore much further away. We can also see things in more detail. So, you know, from, from Hubble, sort of the extreme things that were found that are very distant, they're just tiny little smudges, you know, like yeah. you can't see any detail there. You're just like, oh, there's something there. It's like a tiny dot. But now we can see structure and that tells us more information about what's happening in the galaxies. Like generally with your whole work and research, have you encountered something that was really surprising or maybe unexpected? I guess there's a, a few things that have been surprising. 
One is that so far people have been finding more galaxies at these great distances than was expected. Like we all made predictions, but we hadn't seen them yet. And there's theoretical predictions for what there might be. And so far it seems like we're seeing more things than people predicted, which is kind of fun because that gives us more to work with. And Mm -hmm. it was kind of unexpected. And now people are trying to figure out why that is. And so that kind of goes back to the, the theorists to figure out, you know, what is different about the universe that there's more things. So that's been one surprise. Yeah. I guess another surprise, you know, from other other surveys I've been working with is that there's a lot of active black holes in these galaxies, like more more of them than we might have. And maybe we should have known that. I don't know. <laughs> but, but to find so many of them, it's been kind of exciting. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting thing that I think we weren't really expecting to spend so much time on, but it's popping up. Um, what would you say is your expectation of the coming years when it comes to this field? We're going to learn so much. It's still been less than a year, right, since yeah. we started getting data. And there's already been so much work and mm. so many papers and so many discoveries. And it's, it's like we're only just scratching the surface. So it's, I think, going to be really exciting to see what comes out. Since you started working for JWST, what would you say was the most exciting thing uh, that you were looking forward to in the beginning and what would you say uh, is it now like or how did that change your expectation or your motivation yeah. also i think we all kind of had an idea of what to expect based on simulations and what things would look like but seeing the reality was just yeah. kind of mind-blowing right and the fact that everything worked I, I, you know, just whenever you have such a big project, so many moving parts, so many things could go wrong. I think, of course, we all hoped nothing catastrophic would go wrong, but little things, right? Little things can go wrong. Like, oh, this particular thing doesn't work or, oh, this instrument's not as sensitive as we thought it would be. But everything was so smooth and went so well. And that just almost never happened. So that was a huge yeah. shock. That was um, a lot of hard work and also good luck, I guess. Um, yeah. And and delay because of the delay, the, the the delays helped, yeah. right? Because you test something, it doesn't work. You're like, okay, we're not going to launch. Well, it doesn't work. We need to keep testing and fix all the things. So that's yeah. a good thing about the process, even though it made it take longer. Yeah. So basically there was like an extra six months to improve on the things and yeah, make it work yeah. better than I guess. And then of course, seeing the data was pretty amazing, especially the spectra. I think most, most people see images, pictures, and that I think people can relate to that spectra don't mean anything mm-hmm. to most people in the public but you know for the scientists looking at spectra that's where you're seeing like the real physical information and you can actually see you know signatures of the different elements that you're observing and and that's really cool and so like when they did that big press event last summer and they showed all the different things they showed a spectrum of a galaxy that was really yeah. far away so it's just a bunch of lines it probably looks really boring but that was the thing that kind of made me go oh my god that looks so cool because it's still crazy to me that we can see that kind of detail at these at these crazy distances i think the biggest thing uh, to me is just the amount of awe and wonder about the universe that a telescope like this conveys and I think that's important for all of humanity, right? Even if you don't know all the details about the science or how things work, just to see like the incredible wonders that are in our universe that we can actually learn about is is like one of the, the biggest achievements of humanity, I think. We hope you enjoyed our episode. Please visit longitude.site for the transcript. 
If you are a college student interested in a leading conversation like this for a podcast, please write to us at podcast at longitude.site. We would love to hear from you. Please join us next time for more unique insights on Longitude Soundbites.